Hi, guys. Welcome to the Church Split. You know what we do here? We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and, of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. My name is Will, and we have a special guest with us today. We have Jonathan Pritchett with us um, with Trinity Radio, and we will be discussing some issues in church culture and, of course, what's going on with hiring practices with pastors and why the general consensus on is that churches aren't very good at it and how they can help improve that situation. So, But before we get into all that, go ahead and like and subscribe to The Church Split. Please comment. And yes, it does help the algorithm. Please let the YouTube overlords know that we are here and to send more people to us. So if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you're more than welcome to. But of course, if you're listening to us and not Trinity Radio, you are doing it incorrectly. You should definitely check out Trinity Radio because then you get more people like Dr. Jonathan Pritchett here. Um, so Pritchett, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing all right. I, it looks like our the live stream audience is finally starting to crawl in a little bit. I know it's a Monday afternoon, so it's kind of an awkward time to be doing this. So I'll be I won't be surprised if we get people who join later or watch this after the show, but we'll give it a whirl. Good. I asked you how you're doing on the live stream because I don't think I cared to ask before the stream started. So I actually didn't know <laughs> how you were doing. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm good. I got all my Monday meetings out of the way. So I'm doing a lot better after the meetings. I hate I, meetings. So. I'm actually skipping a meeting right now uh, to be here. Uh, I'm missing a meeting with Brett and Natalie from One Life Church, your bosses, because they decided they wanted to meet at Mondays at one. But starting this week, but I was, you know, preoccupied. I had a prior engagement. This is far more important than meetings anyway. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Actually, it's funny. They were talking about that. They're like, yeah, well, I we have a meeting with Braxton and Pritchett. And I was like, you do? I hope not, because I'm supposed to have one on here in a minute. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you chose me over them because I'm cooler anyway. That's right. So, but I will say, I you and I are going to this event later on and yes. we're talking about carpooling. And after hearing your intro music, I've decided that I will be the driver so that I can control the music on the way up there. <laughs> you don't like my dad rock crunchy rock situation. <laughs> yeah. Your, your takes on, on metal is so bad anyway. So I don't like you. That wasn't metal. That it it would have no, been better had rock. that been metal. Well, I mean, we can listen to heavy metal. I like heavy metal, but no one else does. So, well, I'm old. Fine. I still like. <laughs> your your, your co-host is in the comments saying, "About time JP came on. About time y'all scheduled me. I mean, y'all tried, but um, I'm not elusive to come on the podcast. Just do it while I'm in the office because I don't, you know, I don't have a way to do this stuff at home, and I don't care to come back to the office after I leave. So." I'm not trying to be mean. It's just like when I'm when I'm around. Except for the fact where there's going to be a new show, you're starting to come back to the office too, huh? I have to, but that'll actually be worth it. <laughs> no one. <laughs> well, now my co-host. I love everybody. Everybody's wonderful. <laughs> no, well, now my co-host Brian is just taking pot shots. I guess JP is wrong on two things: music and egalitarianism. <laughs> not wrong. My playlists are awesome. And I I think you could probably find my playlist on my YouTube channel because I have the YouTube premium, whatever. And so my music playlists are for all to see and decide for themselves whether or not I have poor taste. No, actually, you have pretty good music taste. I've listened to some of your playlists now. Yeah. Um, 
However, uh, as we get started here, Mandy, one of our listeners, she said, Eric and I joined up with the church that put that uh, that's going through a replant. We have a transition team helping us to find a new pastor. I am skeptical. Can we have your clone to come by, <laughs> come be our new pastor? Well, hopefully, um, hopefully they mean your clone and not me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, they, met, they meant me. So, yeah, uh, I, because no, so. Pritchett, nobody likes you. So <laughs> they shouldn't, but, but we also like you, Will. We're, I, we're glad that you uh, are the youth minister of our church. So they can't have you and cloning doesn't work. So, yeah, exactly. So uh, I am. Yes. So for those who do not know, Pritchett and I do go to the same church. I'm the student director at One Life Church where he is, uh, where he attends and he'll be teaching a class and all that soon. But uh, yeah, so we actually get to see each other pretty regularly now, which is, which is kind of cool. Although I have a feeling we will get canceled on this particular episode. And that's mainly because on Trinity Radio, Pritchett is known to be the curmudgeon who just says things that upset people. And on the church really? split, I'm known as the curmudgeon who says things that's up, that upsets people. Uh, Braxton is your like PR campaign and Brian is mine. And neither one of them are here to control us. So, and this is live. So Brian can't even edit it right. after this. We will get canceled. There's a cleanup on all five guys. Yeah. <laughs> so all right now with that said i guess we should probably jump into a little bit more of the substance of the show and you and i had talked about doing this before and off and on and we talked about uh discussing why churches are just bad at hiring pastors and mm -hmm. as someone who's been searching for pastorates and ministry work uh i can attest to that on my own experience but you're a seminary professor so you talk to people regularly as well students and whatnot on looking for ministry jobs. And I know you have a lot of strong thoughts and feelings. So what are, so is there a reason why this particular thing kept coming to mind for you? Yeah. Something I've been ranting about, like I'll rant about it just in offhand comments, just on Trinity radio here and there. Uh, but I've never actually settled down to just talk it out with somebody. Cause I, I thought I was the only person in the world harping on this, but turns out there are several people that are interested uh, and hearing more of what's wrong with the process. But I, I've been thinking about it. Um, when I thought that I wanted to be a pastor, which um, was a mistake, uh, <laughs> I uh, I went through what people go through uh, trying to find a job. And it's a nightmare for, for pastors trying to find a job. But then when I got into this position, when I got into academics, uh, people would send me uh, from churches saying, oh, can you post this on your seminary's job board? And we don't have a job board. And I will never let Trinity ever have a job board. What I tell them, I say, we don't have a job board. What I will do is ask you to answer a few questions, a few more questions about your church beyond what's on your website or whatever. And then I will look through our student body to see who is a good fit for you to even consider in the first place. Because what I've noticed from my own experience of trying to, you know, get hired at a church, because it's like a job like anything else. Um, and, and I say that even though people try to over-spiritualize it, if it wasn't a job like everyone else, there wouldn't be job boards and they wouldn't be accepting resumes just like it's jobs.com or indeed.com. So if you're, they're going to treat it like anything else, and it's gonna, I'm going to go ahead and say it's a job like everything else, because that's exactly the way churches treat it these days, which is already a problem, <laughs> right? Um, but... I've been through it myself. I, I, I see students in seminary going through it all the time. I see all my friends are, that are aspiring to be ministers uh, all over social media that are like, you know, acquaintances or whatever going through this process. And it's a nightmare because 
all you're doing is you're typing up a piece of paper and adding a couple of links if you got them. If you're lucky enough to work at a church in you know the 21st century that actually has something other than an audio recording or a CD of of your preaching, you know, believe it or not, there's still churches that are not you know up to speed on that. Or you need something a little bit higher quality than like a Facebook Live that somebody was filming from the pew. You know, they they, they want all of this stuff, and you send that to them. And then you don't know anything for weeks. And most of the time, what you get is an email is, uh, we're going to be pursuing other candidates. Thank you for your interest, all of this kind of stuff. And you will get probably, if you're actively searching for a ministry job, you will get 10 to 20 of those before you ever get your first person that's company that's interested. And so I, I just think that that whole process is an absolute disaster for both churches and for aspiring ministers or ministers looking to relocate and, you know, just change churches or for whatever reason. And I don't, I mean, I kind of judge pastors who are at a church and then they leave because the reason why God has called them to another church is the church offers them more money. It's like everything. And part of me faults it, uh, faults them for leaving the churches they're at for more money because they tried to spiritualize what they're doing at that church in the first place when they're treating it like another job and they're looking for a pay raise and they're not going to get it from the church. They can find it from a church that's probably got a little bit bigger, you know, of a sanctuary, a little bit larger attendance, a little bit better facilities, and they, and they move up. And so, you know, that kind of thing, I understand why. You always want to provide the best, you know, situation for your family that you can, or maybe you have a bad church environment. This, this YouTube channel seems to be spending a lot of time on toxic church environments or whatever that's y'all's language so i i get that I, I understand that i understand there are reasons for pastors to leave uh and i don't follow them all for it i but what you end up with is you end up where the average pastor stays at a church for i don't know uh, i think it's uh, last i looked was about five years ago or something it was like 18 months to two years i don't know if that's still the statistic but the average pastor stays that long and so churches are constantly having high turnover. And there's also a lot of people that are out, out there actively looking for jobs. And this creates, I, I sent you some stills. I don't know if you can bring it up, but how many job listings, if you can find one of the ones that just shows how many uh, search results will turn up from one website, it's like, I don't know, over 1,500 or something like that. Yeah, it's wild. In fact, actually, one thing I wanted to mention before, you know, we talked about that further was you like you said, I was so when I was looking for a ministry position, I was working in auto finance. And uh, of course, wasn't as fulfilling. And so I was sending things out because I really, you know, have a heart for ministries where, where uh, my passion resides. And, and Brian can attest to this, I would send resumes in and I would never hear anything, yeah. anything. And once in a great while, I get an email back, we moved on to other candidates. And I started responding to these people when they sent me that, hey, I sent this to you two months ago. Can you tell me at least why I haven't received a phone call? Was there something I need to augment on my resume? Was there something that was you know, presented that was a problem? What is the main deal uh, that you didn't even give me a phone call? And they would always just say, well, either we're inculcated with too many resumes, so we're just moving on to what we think are the top candidates, or nope, there's nothing wrong, you're doing great, we just moved on to somebody else, which is not helpful. And then there was one without I ever, Hold on, hold on, don't, don't let the... Yep. Without ever speaking to you at all, they just, and probably not speaking to whoever they're even considering yet, they're, they're just sifting paper, right? And they're Christians maybe, <laughs> uh, 
Hopefully. But but they're not treating you like one and either a saying, well, here are things that you could have done that we were kind of looking for. Here's why. So maybe if you had more experience or whatever, um, they, they wouldn't even give you that kind of courtesy, mm -hmm. which is not and the other, which is still treating you like a piece of paper or a faceless blob on the other side of an email exchange, not right. as someone who is made in the image of God and, trying to serve God's people in the local church. And right. I, and the other, go ahead. And, and, and the fact that they say we got in and out inundated with too many resumes to consider also perpetuates this exact problem that we're talking about. And for the ministers like you, who, who actually never hear anything at all or get a flip it dismissal, um, it's demoralizing. Well, it's very frustrating. It got to the point where I even, my wife and I were kind of like, maybe we're just done with ministry because not only was ministry super stressful being involved in it, it was, uh, you know, it financially stressful, time restraints, all these different things. But also just, it was a nightmare to try to get in. And once you're in, sometimes it's a nightmare just being in it, just to get in it as well. And so then one church, this one particularly irritated me. Um, I applied and I think it was probably six to eight months afterwards, I got uh, an email. Hey, you know, we are looking for this uh, associate pastor and it looks like we overlooked your resume, but, you know, I, I looked you up and I didn't realize that, you know, basically you had uh, amassed a following that you have this YouTube channel and you do all this stuff. And, you know, we'd really like to have a conversation with you because I think we should, we uh, fl too flippantly overlooked you. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I'm willing to have a conversation. And we talked for a while and uh, on one phone call, then he just, and he goes, all right, well, you know, I really do like a lot of stuff, but there's one thing I'm uh, a little concerned about is your view on the atonement. You've made clear that you're not like a penal substitutionary atonement guy. So how do you handle this with churches? And I just was like, well, I kind of do a window shopping approach. I present the main views of everything. I'll say where I lean, but then kind of leave it up to the people. And he goes, well, how do you know what's orthodox and what's not? Like, how do you know what to teach and like basically indoctrinate people with? And I was like, well, I think a plurality of views is useful as long as it's within orthodox Christianity. And he goes, oh, okay, all right, cool. Well, you know, I, and then he told me, he's like, hey, I'll call you back in a couple of days um, and set up a time. And I never heard back from him. So six, eight months, wait, you call, you have a conversation with me. I already have my views clearly presented and articulated. And apparently must, my views maybe didn't receive a phone call. I don't know, but that one particularly irritated me because don't waste my time. You know, if it's six, eight months later and you're not even going to like get me in front of your board or bring me in to speak or whatever after a phone conversation and you're not going to be honest and upfront, then don't don't waste my time. It was very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was I was uh, looking for a ministry position. This was years ago. This was I don't know. I guess I started doing it around 2009, 2010. And, um, you know, I was still in getting my education back then. And I think I counted in my, I had a folder set up in my Yahoo account to where I would put all of the rejection letters. And I think, and I was always doing something, you know, but this, there was this weird period between after I sold my barber shop and before I um, came to Trinity, I worked a bunch of odd and end type jobs until I, I found what I wanted to do uh, because I, I wasn't going to just not work, but, I was going to always kind of look for, for the next ministry job or, or whatever. And I think I got over 600 rejection letters in that folder. 
Ow. Yeah. Because I would, I would try to now I, you know, I had got this process down to where, and I was applying all over the country, by the way. And I was, I know I was applying for jobs that I wasn't qualified for, but I figured it's a numbers game. Right. Um, so I was, you know, I had a template email set up so I could just plug and play, you know, copy paste email addresses, hit send, and was just sending them all over the place. Um, but I did learn a lot in that process. And I eventually did become a youth pastor for a little while and then a senior pastor for a little while and decided I don't want to work at, you know, in church ministry. Uh, I'm happy to teach a class for free. I, I don't want to be paid staff at a church because I don't want, no, not my, not my thing. Uh, but, but I, I, and my heart goes out to all those who that is their thing, because I know how people get excited to get involved in church ministry and, you know, they, especially when they have zero experience, you know, other than I, you know, I was, you know, highly active in my local church or whatever, but they don't have any like paid experience. And I, I know how they get excited. And I, and I've seen over and over again, people could just get demoralized in the job hunt and there are jobs everywhere. So you have a lot of people, whether they have a lot of experience or no experience looking for pastor jobs, you have a lot of churches with either pastor or associate pastor, worship pastor, youth pastor, whatever. A lot of churches with vacancies, and yet they can't ever seem to get it together. 100%. I mean, does, I mean, you look at this other slide, you said, like, we have church jobs, so we have all these all around the country we see here on the screen, right? Yeah. And it's so, like you said, it's already difficult to get any response back, which is crazy because you think if you have a need, your public search committee would be all over it or whatever method you have to hire. And then so we have continual listings. But I think one of the problems is, and you and I talked about this, is the some of the job descriptions and the way they go about this just makes it very also vague on what I need to do to even apply certain ones. You are supposed to apply on like, you know, right here we have findchurchjobs.com. We have churchstaffing.com. Like you said, they're basically indeed, but for pastors and ministers. Right. But you have on here these general qualifications or what have you. And when I'm applying, I know what I mean by some of this, <laughs> but I don't know what they mean by some of this. One of the ones you had here was like possess a minimum of a three to five years of pastoral experience with a proven track record of successful leadership and management. Yeah. Now, the reason why I wanted I think these are the ones I sent, sent you because mm -hmm. I see this this kind of language irritates me about proven track record of successful this demonstrated ability to develop that and go to any other job board and look at, you know, uh, hiring positions for middle management at a telecommunications company. It's the same language, mm -hmm. exact same language, you know, demonstrated ability to do this and a proven track record. What church search committee can our hiring HR department? Some of these churches have that now, uh, you know, or whatever they do to, to select pastors. Um, how would they know? Right. How would they right. have a proven track record? You could have you could actually have three to five years of experience and it'd all be terrible experience. Right. Well, the other thing that came to mind was like proven track record of successful leadership and management. Do you mean like I was able to lead a strong team 
uh like we worked really close in it and all that that's how brian my co-host and i became close was that we we uh, he's part of my leadership team that yeah i, I managed two other people right, right. five years wow <laughs> right is that is that, actually that's actually really good if you can do it even that much but i mean what 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 constitutes that and how could they ever know unless they ever had a conversation with you Right. right. And then on top of that, or do you mean like I can lead a group and I've grown a group like numerically? Are you talking about numbers? Are you talking about like team formation? It, it is too vague where I'm like, do, are you guys, do you guys want me to grow numbers and lead in numbers? Or do you guys want me to know? Because I don't want to go to church. That's all like about numbers because that personally drives me crazy because, you know, yeah anyway you know um demonstrated ability to develop and motivate individuals and teams or volunteer leaders and members like again that same idea how would you even know unless you talk to me or you talk to somebody like one of my references or something you wouldn't know yeah. and so they'll have they'll have endless drivel like this all over those when you click on any of these jobs it's a ton of and if you're lucky it'll say oh and something to do with first timothy chapter three <laughs> oh the bible way down there got it and curiously enough if you if you um go to that passage you know you're like okay well how do you know he manages his household you know how, how do you know that he's respected by his community and if you're applying for a job three states away how could they possibly know any of this about you right even if it's all true even you know how could they even know that you met these qualifications? How do they know how you manage your house? How do they know that you have a good reputation? You know? Mm -hmm. Well, and then uh, the other thing, and I wanted to mention this here because I have a real pet peeve about this. So you talked about like how they treat it like a job, right? So you're an employee of the church, essentially, whatever. And mm -hmm. so it's a career and all that jazz. And so what happens is that, you know, I believe education is important. So they're very, but they will always be like, Hey, like right here, we have minimum of a bachelor's degree in Bible theology, pastoral studies or ministry. And okay, fine. So you want someone to have been educated in it. Of course, granted, most of our seminaries and Bible colleges are just like trash indoctrination camps most of the time. There's not there's not a lot of them that let you actually be rigorous and debate and discuss and all that stuff. But well, okay, but in I mean, you know, ours is not like that. But in fairness, though, um, it's not my cup of tea, but if you're a denomination and your denomination wants specific things and they want their their licensed minister just to be ordained, you know, in line with th that denomination, that's they're free to do that. Right. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to. It's not my preference. It's not my thing. And, and I they do become echo chambers and they do become, you know, indoctrination camps. But that's what they want. And they're free to do that. Um, but I think it limits because most of the, if you're a denomination, most of what you get at a denomination school, and you can go check this out for yourself because you can usually find syllabi on websites is anything that they're going to tell you about opposing views are not going to be from the primary sources of people who hold those views are going to be polemical from just critiques of those views from within whatever doctrinal perspective of those seminaries. So it, they're not, I think you come out less competent. Um, Agreed. That's my kind of my well general. Read. And so if your church ever interacts with the real world, you might run into opposing views and they're like not as equipped as somebody who went to a broader non-denominational uh, 
you know, broader doctrinal school that it was just more centered around the fundamentals and not really too particular on all the other issues because all they've read is people criticizing beliefs their denomination doesn't have by critics, not by letting people explain their, but fair enough. That's if they want to do that, they can do that. But I mean, denominations are all shrinking and non-denominational churches aren't. Right. Well, and here's so um, well, part of it goes into, I think, that nightmare we talked about. So one example, a church I was the teaching elder at before I came here, they're they're part of uh, they're not a denomination. They're a fellowship. OK, so it's the Grace Gospel Fellowship. Yeah. <laughs> it's a denomination, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've heard the I've heard the spiel from Southern Baptist and IFB uh, or what are they called? Um, Independent Fundamental Baptist, those ones. Yeah, IFB. How yeah. they're not a your denomination, shut up. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, you're not fooling anybody if it walks and talks and quacks. We know. Yeah, um, exactly. So, but and what, denomination is not a bad word. Just just do own what it. Are, you know. <laughs> well, and so what happened was, so you would go to their college, right? You'd get their four year degree. Then you had to go get like uh no no you had to get licensed to the church which is a one-year process that to, through the organization so four years of college then you go licensing it always starts in in spring so if you want to start getting licensed maybe that fall not going to happen you have to start in the spring then after you get licensed you have to get ordained which is another like two-year process of working at a church i'm like so at the end of all this it's a seven-year process to even be able to start pastoring really in that group and then you're going to pay them 40 grand a year. You know, it, it's just, yeah. it becomes more and more of a nightmare where most people, that's why a lot of people are, I think, leaving denominations. I know like the Wesleyan church, it's a nightmare to get licensed through. Um, it just takes so long. I, I have a friend of mine going through it and it's just. Yeah. You spend all this money on your education and you get peanuts to pay it back. You know, that, that's <laughs> another problem. And I'm, this always sounds weird coming from a guy who's works for a seminary, but I'm I'm always fine saying, yeah, um, the disciples never went to seminary. Yeah, that statements like that don't bother me. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of reasons why most people in ministry actually should get a seminary degree. And I think that you don't have to have one. But I think right. that you should want one because um, part of the problem with not having a seminary degree is that you're you're never actually challenged and tested against people smarter than you. And that's a good thing. Uh, it's kind of a, to me, I think it's kind of a weakness to have never had to be tested um, against people for your, you know, for your capacity to understand these things, because mm -hmm. chances are when it comes to, uh, you know, most, not all, you always have interested lay persons who are going to, you know, I, I know some interested lay people that could probably, know more about biblical scholarship than certain professors. I mean, like Steve Gregg, for example, right? I mean, people like that are out there, but generally in a typical church that runs 75 people, if you become their, their, their senior pastor, you are expected to know the most and you probably do. And if you don't know much, uh, you could run into trouble. The second the people in your church get, so let's say you, you're a successful pastor, you get them interested in Bible theology, and then they start reading the scholarship, but you've never read it in a seminary, and all of a sudden they're trouncing you because you never went to seminary. That's why I think there's a there's a lot of reason, good reasons to go to seminary, but I also don't think that you have to, but you should. Um, but at the same time, 
most jobs, uh, unless you get a degree in something ridiculous like gender studies or whatever, it, it, most places will at least attempt to pay somebody a consumer with their education level in every field except for churches. So if you go and spend 30 to 40 grand on your education, you're going to be paying that back for years working for the average church. It's going to pay you somewhere in the middle of nowhere, rural America, uh, 40 grand at the most for you, your wife and your two, three kids. There's another reason to go to Trinity College of Bible Theological Seminary. Yeah, we're, we're far less expensive. But the, <laughs> but the point is, is like for some reason, you know, Christians don't seem to to and, and the the higher pastors at these churches, these churches, they don't seem to recognize the investment that pastors make in themselves to to train themselves. The same way a doctor trains himself in paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to get through medical school and takes that usually. You know, they're not all just privileged, rich kids that go there. There's a lot of people I know that went to just to be, even become a nurse that sank 75 to 100 grand just to become a nurse to only make 75 to 100 grand. And they said they have to pay all that back. You know, they have to took out loans or whatever. Doctors take out loans uh, to go to med school and then they have to pay that back. And, you know, the doctors would usually make enough money to afford that. If you get an accounting degree, usually if you start off as a staff accountant somewhere, or even if you just worked for H&R Block during tax season, you, you're still going to make pretty good money, consumer, to how much you spend on your education, unless you went to some ridiculous school. But seminary does cost money, too, but churches don't, they, they, they want to require a minimum of a bachelor's degree. Bachelor's degrees cost more money than master's degrees, regardless of where you go. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's an MDiv preferred, is, I know that we have that. I know that you showed me someone saying they prefer an MDiv, which is another several thousand dollars on top of the bachelor. And then they're going to pay you 35, 40 grand a year. So they, I they have, I have they, literally seen it. I have yeah. seen it where they require like, so must have an MDiv or a doctorate of some sort, like some sort of PhD, THD, something like that. Yeah. And then salary is 45,000 a year. Right. So you expect I mean, me to be in school for like eight years paying out thousands of dollars and you're going to barely compensate me anything like i mean and it's fine so we could take that position sure but you are making it really difficult to find a pastoral leader because you're not going to find anyone probably who will take that it's going to be very difficult right unless it's an old person who's just <laughs> wants his retirement job but at the same time there are people willing to take that job for that money, even though it's not going to really help them much covering their education expenses if they're young. You know, they're willing to do it. Mm -hmm. so, so that's uh, and and they and I'm glad for that. Which, again, uh, you know, this is why. Uh, sorry, I side more with the aspiring ministers than I do um, the churches that are trying to hire them because they 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 want to pay down here, but they want to expect all this. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, I mean, and that's and actually, it's funny because a lot of I mean, we could talk about that uh, here too because one of the other things that we get uh, here, I'll just I'll remove this so that way it's not like we're ta not talking about that on screen right now, but. One of the things I'll hear all the time, right? Like we hear prosperity gospel is bad. Prosperity gospel is bad. Uh, Joel Osteen, all that. Bad, 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 bad. Uh, don't try to make a lot of money. 
But then there's this other thing that you're fed when you're wanting to be in ministry, which is I call it the poverty gospel. And it's this whole idea. Well, if it's for God, you shouldn't want money like you shouldn't want to get paid that money. If if it's for God, you'd be willing to work 50 hours a week at thirty five thousand a year. And the reality is that's just not reality. That is not like I can't you can't like support a family with that. And. I bought the poverty gospel because I was raised IFB. So I was like, all right, this is what you're just supposed to do. This is what makes it spiritual. And then, you know, it didn't take me long to figure out that that was dumb. And later on, when I t- chose to go into ministry, back into ministry, I had a minimum number. I was like, I, I will only pay, take a ministry position if it pays X amount of dollars. Oddly, oddly enough, uh, that's exactly what they offered me here. Like, so that's <laughs> yeah. the switch. But yeah, that was just all these, these aspects of it, which is, well, no, I mean, food costs money right? My right. house costs money. Right. It's not about poverty. It's about being able to pay your bills, but you know, and still even having some kind of family life uh, outside of your job at church. So a lot of churches have these amped up expectations of how much time they want you spending, you know, 50 hours, you're lucky, right? They want 60, 70 hours and then they wonder why so many uh, pastors end up in such terrible marriages. And I've seen that constantly um, because they just don't spend any time with their wife and kids because the church is making so many demands. And then the then they will also make demands on the wife to spend her time doing church stuff as an unpaid extra employee. It's 100 percent. Actually, that was one of the that is still probably the weirdest part about me adjusting to this position, which was they were like, oh, yeah, Callie, we'd like her to be involved if she can. But also you have a three year old and you you know, it's, you're the employee and you're the one who works here, not her. So she can be involved, but she's not required to be at every single event or anything like that. And I was like, really? I think, <laughs> so, you know, and even uh, pastor, uh, our, our pastor's own wife, I think I only see her at our second service. And it's just and it's just kind of funny because like it, in a lot of churches, she'd be required to be at every single time. The door is open. Be here. And yeah, look, look, no spouse should want to hear their husband preach the same message twice. Oh, yeah. No, they're lucky they want to hear, hear you hear you speak once. <laughs> you know, they hear you talk <laughs> all the time because usually the wives have to hear the sermon before you ever give it at the house. It's, How's this going to sound, honey? So, you know, they've already heard it. Are bits of it you know throughout the week anyway so shoot my wife doesn't even listen to this show she and i'm like <laughs> yeah. yeah you know and i'll tell her i'm like oh you don't support me she goes i hear you talk about it before you even do it then i hear the cliff notes when you get back from the show why would i ever want to re-listen why would i want to listen to it i right. hear you enough that's fair yeah no um the closest anyone my wife no my daughter no uh my older son no but my my middle son noah will watch what do you mean because he's cool but and I inspiring philosophy, but no one else, and the, only them maybe. But he's like none of them watch this kind of stuff. They, they're too, they're they have other interests, you know. Exactly. So basically, what we have actually. So what what does uh, Michael Smith say here? So churches are acting like secular jobs, but are but so are universities. Only we call them seminaries. That's true. Yes. Yep. Yes. I, and I work at a seminary. This is a business like other businesses. Right. One hundred percent. I mean, again, you have to pay bills uh, in order to make and that's not a bad. Again, it's not a bad thing. Like sometimes. So there's this whole debate whether or not pastors should even receive any sort of compensation whatsoever. Right. Like the Bible seems to think they should in first Corinthians nine. But 
What? And, uh, and, notice, <laughs> and notice that Paul only made tents when he was in Corinth, but he was running around trying to drum up money for his mission to trip to Spain from Romans. He collected all the money from the Philippians. Uh, you know, he, he had he had no problem taking money. He just people say he is a tent maker. Yeah. In Corinth for other reasons. Right. Because he did not because he knew what kind of people they were. Right. <laughs> and he, he didn't want them to have anything over him. You know, they were babes in Christ and all of that. So actually, there's a question we have here that you can probably implement some of what you're talking about real quick to it. Do you think our churches would be healthier if we had no full time hires, maybe a multiple part time bivocational people? Absolutely not. No, I think that's a disaster. And I think that when when you don't have full time people, you don't have full time commitments. And and just doubling the number of people just doubles the number of divided commitments. So. No, I don't. I don't think that that's a good idea. I always think that if you if a church is trying to hire a bivocational pastor, it should not exist except for the hope that they can bring the fast the pastor on full time and not make the pastor do all the the work to make that happen. By the way, um, but no, I don't. I don't think that's a good idea. I, no, I've been a, I've been a bivocational pastor. I did it for four years. And it's exhausting. I mean, because while I'm at work, my day job, I'm thinking about my sermon, but then you're so you're pulled all over the place and you can't. I felt bad because I couldn't invest and disciple people the way I should be able to. And but at the same time, I had to pay my bills. So I had to work another full time job and it was difficult. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't see that as preferable. I think that um, because then you have to multiply the number of people. How do you that you need? How do you know that they're all qualified? They all have families. They're all you know. They all have to live lives too, and that could just become. You need people dedicated full time to the church. I think, and I think that if you a church is too small to pay a bivocational pastor, they need to be bringing on a bivocational pastor for the purpose of moving him to full time when they can. And here's the dirty little secret about a lot of these little churches out in the middle of nowhere that want a bivocational pastor. They pay two hundred fifty bucks a week to preach. They usually have half a million dollars in the bank and the building's paid for. <laughs> You're not wrong. And and, um, and it is like trying, you know, you can't, they, they will not part with any, they will not use any, They it's for a rainy day is what they'll tell you. But they will not use any of the fruit of God's blessing to actually move the church in the direction they need to go with all of that money. And that money is not collecting that much interest and it'll be there 10 years after almost everyone in that church dies off and nobody will know what to do with it. And so mm -hmm. get repossessed and all of that. So, I mean, it's like, they, they, that's, that's, mo I'm not saying it's every one of these small churches. You didn't hear me. I said, it's a lot of them. It's probably, and I will say in middle America, I would dare venture to say most because I hear the story over and over and over and over again. About you know you you can go to the church meetings because a lot of these churches are congregational and they'll have the church meeting and you can look at how much they bring in it's really not a whole lot of money how much it goes out it's really not a whole lot of money but then there's this other number and we can't touch that but it's like half a million dollars <laughs> you know and they won't use any of those resources that people gave to the church to perpetuate the church to actually perpetuate the church. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that that was my experience. So I got hired, uh, my first lead pastor, they hired me at like 250 a week. And, uh, and I could live in a parsonage. And I worked hard, I worked hard. And we had our record breaking 
year budget wise and numerically with attendance, all this stuff. So, you know, it was doing great. So I went to the board and I was like, look, guys, I don't like this is really awkward for me, but no one's brought it up. But like I'm my wife is working. I'm doing this. I think we need to talk about compensation. So that way my wife doesn't have to keep doing this stuff. And uh, they were like, all right, yeah, we'll we'll convene. Yeah, you're right. You know, this has been really successful. And then they came back to me with a $75 a week raise. And I remember I was so angry. <laughs> uh, I went home and I had to like process before I snapped because they could afford so much. It could afford more. Right. And if they couldn't afford more, your anger is misplaced. Right. If, they, if you know and everyone knows they could afford more and they don't give it, I think, listen to me. Oh, this sounds so unspiritual. You should be willing to do it. for No. If you're working, being a pastor is work. And the church is growing, as are the coffers. The pastor should be consumed, you know, pay consumer to the amount of work and production he's putting in. Muscle right. boxes. Come on. And I, if they can't afford it, that's one thing. If they're like, okay, it's going to be a stretch to give you seventy-five more dollars, but we we are going to invest in you. We need you to. Great. Amen. Thank you. But when you know they've got more, but the, they just think, well, we want to keep you humble. That's what they actually say. Well, what they what they told yeah. me. What and there was one particular this, these people eventually left the church, hence the split situation. There's like this, it wasn't the salary yeah. thing, but this particular person actually caused a split. But he kept saying, it was like, well, he's young and inexperienced, so we shouldn't pay him like we'd pay a full-time pastor. Like, and so apparently well, I my, I'm my not question, I'm not pastor enough. That yeah, was my it, idea. My my question is so the, the pastor with all the experience that paid you more, how'd that go? And why is there, you know, only 40 people here at this church that has a sanctuary that seats 400? Right. right? <laughs> all that wonderful experience shrunk your church to nothing you know yeah that's 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 part of <laughs> anyway so then um, brian has another question and i know we got to go into other things real quick but brian had a question he's like what are your thoughts on the average cost per person to attend church is a thousand dollars a year we spend so much to keep the lights on instead of expanding the church body so I think what he's getting at here um, due to character limits is, do you think it's an, it, uh, the way we do churches in financially an effective way? I don't think it's that high unless, you know, uh, you got a bunch of obese people hogging the church potlucks. But I don't, you know, food's expensive nowadays, but I don't think it's that high. Um, but there, there is something to like, you know, I don't know. We write one check a year. I don't like give money every week. We write one check a year to, to our church. We like to do things in big chunks, you know? Um, but my thing is you should always, you know, if you're a member of a church and you're sitting there using their central heat and air and you get something from the church and you would like that church to continue and you love the people that you attend church with and you want your pastor to eat and you want everyone to be able to sing with you on Sunday mornings, you should put something in the plate, right? Whether it's 10%, I don't care, 5%, 1%, five bucks, you know, 35% of you, I don't care. Just contribute something, you know, to help keep the lights on so that there's lights when you walk in the building. But I don't know how much it is per person, but I, I don't think it's that high unless the church is overspending on people fair but yeah so i don't i don't i don't think anything of that number um but you know i could be wrong but i, I do think that's a bit high right 
You know. Um, okay. Again, it's because see the number is going to. I mean, I guess maybe on average, but I mean it's like going to depend. What what is the people versus building ratio there, right? So if you have forty people in a sanctuary that seats um, four to five hundred, and there's some senior citizens that are complaining that it's always too cold and you have to keep the turning the heat up or it's too hot in the summer. You have to keep cooling this massive building for this few people. I mean, it can get expensive, you know, so right, I, right. I, but there's so many different variables of that. I don't, I, I wouldn't know how to shake that out. Brian. And then uh, finally, before I, we, I want to, I do want to get some of our other slides real quick. Um, but real quick, I, John 17 said, no offense, but shouldn't we be doing the testing in the local fellowship within the context of discipleship? I have met far too many seminary grads to think it is worth it. So I think he's referring to like hiring from within. Yeah, I believe in that. <laughs> I don't, I mean, you know, Titus 1.5 doesn't say accept resumes from every city or seminary for that matter. <laughs> just go appoint them. <laughs> point out, you know, um, so it's like, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally on board with that. You're not offending me. I I think seminaries should work in conjunction with local churches. I think seminary students should be. I, I like the way that they do it in the black church, where you are an apprentice under another pastor before you ever get to go. You know, uh, try a church on your own. I I think it's a I'm a both and. You know, um, and I prefer when churches raise people up to aspire to ministry and be brought on board. Right. Mm -hmm. Within the, that's like, that should be where you start. Now that's not feasible for a lot of churches, right? Uh, not everyone wants to go into ministry. <coughs> I totally understand that. Uh, maybe there's just not a large pool of people from which to draw. So I think that the next step should be referrals, Right. Kind of the way you got hired. Our pastor asked me, is there anyone I know and trust and can vouch for? Right. Um, I think I probably, you know, I don't know that I would have been asked if I didn't have the job that I have. But I mean, seminaries can work and seminarians can work within local churches, too. I could be a church member. Um, so, you know, I can I can facilitate that. But I agree that naturally they should probably come up from within. They should intern i guess is the word or apprentice under another pastor for a period of time and i think that they should receive seminary aid it can, it's it, it's all of the above approach uh but i think that hiring from within is probably the best scenario and for a lot of people that want to get into ministry this is what i tell seminarians uh i, I who asked that question um john 17 john, project the john 17 i don't know his real name. So this is what I would um, suggest is, is it all of an all of the above approach to, to hire, trying to rise up within. And I also tell seminarian grads or seminarian students that are trying to find work. I tell them, get to work in your own church for free until they have to pay you because you're, you've proven yourself and you've grown the church and you've done whatever by starting a Sunday school class that suddenly runs more than the pastors running on Sunday morning, you know, or starting a youth group that your church doesn't have and growing it and getting the families to come in, make yourself necessary to, they can't afford to not pay you in your church. But I I'm with you because a lot of these seminary grads aren't doing anything in their local churches while they're in seminary. So I can pick on them too. 
you know, and, and, and I, t- and I do, I, I'm not nice to anybody. So I tell them all the time, you know, uh, especially not just like people want to be pastors or youth pastors, but like people want to want to do apologetics. Like, well, how many times have you spoken on apologetics at your church? And I hear all the time, well, they don't want to hear it at my church. How do you know if you've never talked about it? Right. Well, I mean, John said, John said, first thing is don't tell them it's called apologetics. Call them, we're going to defend the truth. That the yeah. easiest amen line you can get from a bunch of Baptists is I'm going to defend the truth, pound the pulpit. They'll let you talk, and then you start saying all this other stuff. You know, <laughs> it's not hard. And then you go, and this is actually after you wax eloquently through a nine-part series. Go, this is called apologetics. Then you throw it in at the end, and then you realize that they have been hoodwinked. Right. John 17 Project says, so the idea is to outsource the discipling of teachers and leaders uh, in the body of Christ and replace a spiritual gift with a college degree. This is all sounds terrible. That That's not what he said. He's saying it's a both and. Like, that, that hasn't dude, been said in this entire broadcast. Right. Go back so, and listen from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. Um, then uh, J- Peter Fox says, and I think uh, Jordan Thornburg did a great job responding, but he goes, I guess I just don't see the value in having a full time pastor. My question is, is, have you ever pastored? Because I'm telling you what, right now, it is not an, <laughs> it's a job that is nothing but time consuming. Yeah. I don't see the value of having either Will or our lead pastor, Brett, doing anything else other than full time our church. From, from my vantage point, um, I don't want them doing anything else because I see all that they do. And I'm like, if if they had to divide this labor even further with other people and found other things that they, they did besides the church because they have, you know, certain second jobs or whatever, uh, it would be a nightmare. That this Our church couldn't function if it was set up like that. Well, our church is, it got into the point, I mean, we had, what, between both two campuses, like over 700 people just like on Christmas Eve. So, and to facilitate that, the discipleship of that, the communication of all that, to make all that stuff happen. And we need, go to the hospital. I mean, our pastor does hospital visits. Right. It's know? not just, I'm running this cool production. It's, we still do boots on the ground here. I'm, yeah. I'm a missions director. I meet with uh, like three different local missions regularly. And I, yeah, if you want us to be effective in what the church is supposed to do, yeah, you kind of need time to be able to do that and be able to afford it. So if, uh, some if of these. If you don't see the value of a full-time pastor, then you don't have a full-time pastor of much value. That's all I'm going to say. Oof, ah, there you go. No, seriously, seriously. No, you're not wrong. If, if, if your church <laughs> can afford a full-time pastor and you don't see how necessary that is, that's on your full-time pastor doing a terrible job. Now, you with your New Testament uh, studies, uh, Dr. Pritchett, but uh, Michael Smith said, but Paul spoke of those who are married will have more worldly cares. This does not necessitate that the church pay a pastor more than his necessities. I agree. I didn't say make the pastor rich. Uh, I yeah. agree with that. So exactly. I, 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 what I said was not poverty, pay his bills. Right. You know? Like he, he not he doesn't need to be going on extravagant vacations every six months, you know. So all right, cool. Let's but he I, should I, be I, able to go on a extravagant vacation every now and then, just like everyone should be able to get paid enough to go on a vacation. Right, exactly. R- vacations um, are wonderful, you, you know. Um well they, they help reset your mind and kind of get you focused yeah. and enjoy yourself. It's a really important thing. Um, I so want our goes, pastor to go on vacation so that we don't have to hear him speak every Sunday. <laughs> well, then also pastors like what people don't realize either is that you have all your stuff, like all, all people when people are going to you with all their problems, 
Um, you know, I, I've had students open up to me even recently about things that they're going through. It's like that, that, that can be exhausting because you like you live people's problems through with them. You bear their burden. So it is nice mm. to sometimes get away and hit a reset button. But some of these other funny things that you and I talked about, uh, I thought was hilarious. Um, yes, I, that's the same church in Richmond, Texas. River Point. Hey, they made this public, not me. And so I sent him this. This is a non-denominational church. <clears throat> but yet you look down. I posted the link. If anyone wants to join Trinity Radio primetime discussion, I actually posted this in our uh, Trinity Radio. Um, it's a discussion group on Facebook, by the yeah, way. Yeah, on Just... Facebook. Sorry. Uh, and I posted this because it's a non-denominational church, yet they want their candidate their preference is that he was ordained through a denomination. <laughs> I mean, you we're can't it up. We're non-denominational church, but we prefer you to be we ordained. You have a denomination that ordained you, not not another one of us, right? <sighs> oh my gosh, that is that. Yeah, when you sent me that, I'm like, this. This is the sort of stuff, by the way. We pastors are constantly dealing with while we're applying. And here's it's, the thing: I spent about. Three minutes of my day yesterday prepping all of these clips because it's just so easy. It's whatever's on page one, right? To find all of this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, you don't have to try very hard to get everything that's worth pointing out that's wrong with this or just funny about this whole thing. Right. Uh, and also Braxton is on Trinity Radio and he says he always shares his problems with you. I'm, I'm assuming also you're part of his problems. but well, Yeah. <laughs> when he says he's sharing his problems with me, he literally means... His problems with me. <laughs> um, Michael Smith, thank you so much for the super chat, the $10 super chat. Love this convo, gentlemen. Thanks. You're very welcome. I'm glad someone can commiserate with us. Um, and also, uh, Michael Smith, uh, Brady Cohen said, yeah, he basically agrees with the fact that we should cover needs and all that. Um, so this is a funny one. And I just want to quickly go through some of these. And uh, by the way, if you have questions, quickly start throwing them into the chat. Um, this one cracked me up. This was in Vancouver, Washington. They also preferred that he has you have an MDiv. It's all this. This is actually one of the better um, job descriptions and everything I saw. So I wanted to use this as more of a positive example, but it's also a huge church. Uh, and their salary range is a hundred to $125,000 a year. But the funny thing is Which that is this isn't in Vancouver, Washington. but in Vancouver, Washington, <laughs> this is like really like 50 grand. Right. And with the end. So I was like, well, that, I mean, that's a great salary. People would love that. But in Vancouver, Washington, it's really not that much. Like yeah. try to get by in place like Vancouver or DC or something like that with a hundred grand a year. It won't go very far. Yeah. Uh, this one absolutely killed me. Youth pastor in Ohio. Um, now, this is a youth pastor. They prefer you have a degree, right? Uh, or comparable experience training. Uh, but this here's your vague thing. You can go on your little tangent if you want to, where it says, or a clear call to ministry will be considered. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? I, I don't I don't I don't know. The Bible never says that people it says that Paul was called to be an apostle. We know what happened on the Damascus road. We know what happened to all the other apostles who were, you know, called uh, by Jesus, you know, um, nowhere does it say that people who are going into ministry receive a call to ministry. It says mm -hmm. that being coming a minister is something to which one aspires in first Timothy three and to which they are appointed again, Titus one, five, you aspire to it. And then you're appointed to it is the biblical model. Um, this idea uh, the closest you can get in, in 1 Corinthians 7, calling, the only time it ever relates to a vocation, it doesn't really mention anything about ministry, just mention, that's just a slang term for 
your vocation for any vocation, uh, including like Paul says, well, if you're a slave, get free if you can, but everyone should remain in the calling to which he was called. And that just means, and that's the only time that that language is ever used of anything. And it's used of just generic, whatever, you know, if you're in a McDonald's employee, well, you know, that's, that's your vocation. That's your calling. But as far as, but when people think calling, what they, what they think is not labeled, right. They don't think named, they think summoned, right. They think right. summoned to the ministry or whatever. And I always, first I want to ask my cessationist friends, how exactly does that work? If you don't believe that God speaks to anybody outside of scripture, Oh, it's just this vague prompting. No, that's, that's your aspirations. That's not the Holy spirit because the Bible says people who aspire it's noble. Um, so, you know, and if you actually hear like the Mark Driscoll and, you know, he's a he's a charismatic and he says, well, God told me to, you know, preach the gospel and train men and blah, blah, blah. He says it was audible. Possible, but I don't really believe it, <laughs> you know, and I'm not a I'm not a cessationist. So but I, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that anyone is ever called to basic ministry. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing I wanted to point out here, like if, this if should... I call you mean summoned. Right. My God to do this thing, you know? Right. And, 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 and if you do think that, well, in some sense, you don't have biblical support for it, but if you think we're all in some sense called as in summoned by God to whatever job that we currently have, um, fine. But then why do you use this language for called to ministry? And you don't say called to talk radio or called to finance. Nobody ever talks like that. But we like to spiritualize it, Pritchett. Yeah, but, uh, okay, then show me your text. It's the God card, man. Show me your text. <laughs> it's the, God told me to break up with you, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this would crack. I mean, it's cracked. from the same... Uh, it's from the same... You know, it's from the same lost book of the Bible, I guess. Yes, uh, Book of Second Opinions, Chapter 2. Uh, so then the, the miscellaneous part underneath this entire youth pastor description, this killed me. The, pa the pastor of student ministries will need to live within 15 miles of the church. And what so, if no housing is available? Right. Or just so Evansville is huge. It's or spread out. in this housing market, right? Right. Yes, exactly. And not but 16 I, minutes within 15. Uh, right. And what's funny is that this right here, 15 miles, I look at our area. Our area is very stretched out. There's a lot to our area. Iowa I'm driven, City is the worst planned city planning I've ever been to or that I've yeah, ever lived in. It is, a, it is a weird smorgasbord of things. And yes. what's funny is that like I just went to a swim meet with one of our students the other day. Uh, he was competing and he, he wanted me to go. So I went and it was uh, – and he's very quick, by the way. If I ever I'm drowning, I want him to save me. <laughs> but I went to a swim meet and it was 15 miles away. And it was, which is 23 minutes apparently in this area. And I was like, okay, so I can't even live within, I've pastored at country churches. Everyone was at least 15 miles away because of all the property in between. So this just seems like a weird micromanagey thing. Like if I'm willing to make the commute, shut up and leave me alone. What if there's no housing available? <laughs> what if, what if I found a great piece of property that's 20 miles away? But it only takes me 25 minutes to get to church. A lot of people drive 30 minutes for work. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. My, my, my question is, what is there that's affordable? And if it's not affordable, given what you're going to pay me, how do you expect me to live there? Right. There's also that. This one also, uh, 
this one killed me too. Will, you know, whoever does this, of course, will have at least an undergrad degree, but will have seven to 10 years of experience. Seven seems awfully specific, but okay. Uh, and by the way, it will have ever increasing responsibilities. Forever. Forever. More and more work. It doesn't say you'll have ever increasing pay raises, but it certainly says you'll have ever forever. Your workload will never end. It will just get more every year. But your salary doesn't promise that for your salary, does it? Exactly. This is a worship pastor in Ohio. It uses a lot of those same things like vision, leadership, team building. So it has very vague descriptions. And all these, by the way, all these pastoral job descriptions are very filled, very much filled with Christianese, like well, just half Christianese and half we're looking for a middle manager from a telemarketer company, you know, also that <laughs> vision, that leadership and vision and team building and proven track record and de demonstrated conflict. I mean, that's, it's the same jargon. Uh, I guess they, there's crosstalk between ministry and, and becoming a finance manager. Uh, but what's it, I, I love the vision thing. I think that's so 10 years ago, they're a little bit behind uh, selling vision. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that when you showed me this earlier. It says selling vision. <laughs> what did we say about telemarketing? <laughs> now we're doing sales. I mean, there, there it is. No vision. They used to call it vision casting. It's, it's. Uh, they never told me I get to do that here because. I was looking forward to, I was hoping they would say that. Cause that means I sit here and daydream <laughs> because I mean, this vision business is let's build an air castle and hope it comes real. You, right? can, sit, you mean, can sit there in your 13th floor of your building, looking out the window, pontificating, saying I'm vision, vision casting right now. <laughs> no, I would get fired. Braxton, my best friend in the planet plucked me out of obscurity to bring me to do this would fire me for vision casting all day. That's yeah. Well, unfortunately. anyway, and then trying to sell it, <laughs> you know, like a swindler, like, like uh, snake oil. Right. So, right. but, but then yeah, also, there's, there's, yeah. Oh, those pastors are just, you know, swindling snake oil salesmen. Well, you asked us to, <laughs> right. Uh, this is actually, this is actually funny. You right? know, car salesman. Well, you asked us to behave like that by selling you stuff. Brian makes a good point. Maybe this church is just more honest than others, right? Ever increasing work, most accurate job, pastoral job description, expectation. <laughs> um, anyway, so also there's no salary or benefits yeah, listed. Moses' his father-in-law gave him a recommendation for that, you know, distribute the labor. True. But, okay. Uh, no, no salary or benefits listed. Please, if you're posting it for your church, put what salary you're going to, you're able to pay your pastors because Different people are in different positions. Like, I don't want to be applying when I have to support a family and then suddenly I'm it's $25,000 a year. Like, especially don't. when Medina is an upper middle class bedroom community uh, to Cleveland and Akron, right? <laughs> right. Like, what, what exactly are we doing here? I, I, because certain people aren't able to apply. And what's you'll even find these in these job descriptions. I don't know if I have any in uh, these, but someone will be like, and have a clear call and heart for this community, for this city, for the, this church's vision or whatever. I'm like, I've never even met you. I don't even know <laughs> if I would ever have a heart for you or your community. Cause for all I know, you all are terrible. Right. And I will, 
I want to be as far away with me and my daughter and my wife as possible. Yeah, but that's the problem with all this. I mean, pastors are relocating and transplanting themselves and their families all over the country every two years because that's as long as they can last. And they say, I have 10 years experience. No, you have two years of experience five different times. But other than that, you have pastors doing all all of this business. They don't know anything about these communities. They, they're never there long enough to establish roots. And sometimes it's the church's fault. They don't stay. And, you know, I mean, it's just, I would say generally speaking, it, which goes back to why you should write, goes back to what I hope the John 17 project heard me say is it's best to start from within. Right. Within. Unless you can't. And most churches probably can't actually, but if you can't do it from within, then you go through a referral process especially mm-hmm. if you want them to live within 15 minutes of the church. Well, I mean, find someone, you know, that, that is aspiring to that position within your own community. Cause you know that if they live there, they love it. You hope. So exactly. I, I don't know. This, this is weird. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And here again, by the way, this is the entire job description for this part-time uh, youth pastor position. What you're looking at is the entire posting. So Church of 101 to 150, it's part-time. It's a vague description, no pay or benefits listed. Part-time, and if you read this entire description, I, I won't bore you all with it, but essentially it's like, hey, run the children's ministry, family ministry, and the youth ministry. Also uh, network with various organizations like schools and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's a lot of actual responsibilities. Like to build three different ministries in a smaller church, along with uh, being a liaison to various missions and schools and all that, like for a part-time position, like what exactly are your expectations here? I don't know. And I don't want to know. I'm not sending you a resume. I would never send a resume. Yeah. Here. Go meet with these schools and these organizations that you, you work from eight to five. So you have four hours in the evening and, and one of those evenings might be the Wednesday night youth meeting. Um, so you have four other weeknights because a lot of those places are closed on Saturday Mm-hmm. never be home never spend time with your family because we want you to do all of this stuff with all of these other people that don't go to our church you know and then we want you to do all this stuff for the church but keep in mind first timothy three you know be able to run his household well blah 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 <laughs> but you have no idea yeah you know? right uh and that's why and actually i think that is one of the reasons why we do see uh pastors having affairs i think i know we talked about this a little bit earlier or why a wife will leave or why a lot of wives like absolutely despise ministry i mean you're seeing why um so these are all i mean so basically what would you say as we wrap up shop here unless oh oh, wait uh kingdom and context had a question i i kind of skipped over it uh as we were doing that what was this question uh how are pastors handling their congregants hearing conflicting theology on youtube and returning to ask and challenge the pastor about their doctrines Usually the pastors that went to decent seminaries are handling quite well. Um, the pastors who don't go to seminary because they think seminary is awful and then all of that, whatever other people want to say about it, uh, they don't handle it quite as well because, you know, uh, if I wanted to, I could, I love every pastor I've ever had, but I could always, if I wanted to run circles around them on, on things that they've never heard before because they haven't, read the amount of literature I have to, you know, much less the random stuff that you hear on YouTube. I think that, I think that pastors who are well-read and well-studied, which is also time-consuming, a never-ending process, and why full-time is necessary, because they, you don't want your pastor to stop learning, right? 
And so that takes time. Um, but yeah, I think that generally, not always, I would never mess with Steve Gregg on any subjects, you know, and he's never been to college or whatever, seminary. Which is crazy because he's brilliant. Right. <laughs> they do exist. But what I'm saying is most of the time when there's internet controversies, when they talk to their pastors about it, the pastors don't even know what they're talking about. Right. And uh, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, so real quick, what do you think some best practices are as we close out shop? Well, just to sum up things I've kind of scattered throughout is, is um, first, I think that churches when they're trying to hire pastors need to be, courteous if somebody sends you a resume especially if you ask them to send a resume write out a personal doctrinal statement gather up links to the, hear their sermons and all of this other stuff you know uh if you receive an email send a courteous response we have received your email and we look forward to considering it and then make sure you contact them within a reason i mean i know that this stuff doesn't happen overnight people on these committees they have lives too just like pastors do you know they have jobs usually these are laymen in the church and they have to sort through all of this stuff but after a month or two try to respond back in order letting people know so they're not waiting on you you know never telling them i think is just treating them as if they are a faceless in person right non-person they're an npc but they're not they're somebody who wants to serve god somewhere but you're treating them like an NPC that doesn't exist. So respond to them. If they further inquire, like Will was talking about, as to why, what would they do, you know, what would they need to do, or what could they do that would be better, or was it a lack of experience, what, whatever it was, if you didn't like the font on my resume, whatever. Answer those questions. So the courteous thing, treating people like brothers and sisters in Christ is the first recommendation to churches in the hiring process. The second thing is quit rolling the dice on every job board you could possibly uh, think of on the internet and then getting inundated with sifting paper instead of dealing with humans, right? You set yourself up to receive hundreds, if not thousands of resumes because everyone's looking and everyone's needing. You're, that's what you're going to get if you just decide to throw it out there on the internet and see what happens. Try to start within your church. If that's impossible, and I think it is probably not likely in a lot of churches, start with other pastors in your community that you know or other churches, right? See if there's anything local. If not, see if there's a local seminary or even a seminary like Trinity that has students everywhere. I won't tell anybody but anyone I think is good for your church or your denomination, whatever. But you should start local and branch out slowly if you can't find anybody in a larger circle as you go. Chances are you won't need to, to do that. And so you're not sifting resumes all the time. Third, if you're going to post it on the Internet or whatever, one, keep it brief. Two, lower your expectations if you know you're not going to pay them. Let them know what the, the range is. Uh, tell them what their expectations are, but try not to sound so more like a telemarketing company or a tele, you know, telecommunications company or a bank or a finance group and more like a church. Okay. Um, I know there's a weird blurring of the two now, but try to get more back to the church side than the, the corporate America side. Um, 
you know, and then and, and be reasonable and realistic. And finally, I would say talk to more people than looking at resumes. Make this a human thing, not a paper and digital thing. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. Um, as someone who has searched for pastoral positions, just acknowledging that you got my resume. Uh, I've sent in my resume to places and I never heard back. I have no idea if they even got it. Um, right. Making it. And then also contacting, like you said, just, and also just putting the stuff up there. Put me, give me the basic, give me the basic information. Give me a link to your website. Put your statement. of If there are things that you, I have to believe in order to work at your church, please make that very clear. I don't want to apply if it's not even something that I affirm. Like if you're actually funny, uh, I was interviewed at a church called The Foundry. And uh, I midway through the conversation, they're like, by the way, we are a reformed church. So, you know, uh, that's know that we are reformed. And I was like, oh, well, I'm just so you know, I'm not reformed. I am right. actually very not tulip and all that. And uh, I never heard back from him. But then it was just this like I set aside time. I talked to him for an hour here. I had gone through all this to send them stuff. And just to find out at the end of it all, oh, you're reformed. Maybe you should start with the Foundry, a Christian Reformed church located here. You know, let me know because <laughs> now we're wasting your time and mine. Right. So, uh, yeah, I and again, putting your pay up there would be beneficial because, by the way, it's not wrong for a pastor to expect him or what to desire for him to have be able to support his family. Maybe you're maybe this pastor, like for myself, did bivocational ministry for many, many years and knows that it's taxing on the family. My daughter, once my wife got pregnant, I knew it was not sustainable uh, mm -hmm. when we were going to have a child. And so I was like, OK, my daughter needs to know her dad. My wife, you know, we we can handle it, that what we're doing. But once we throw the kid, we're not going to be able to do it. So then I knew that if I'm going back into ministry, I'd have to make enough to where my wife did not have to work at all or at least full time. So uh, right now she works part time, but it's not that bad. Well, so, what I want to say to pastors and seminarians looking for uh, a ministry position, like I said, are you doing ministry now, even if you're not getting paid for it at some level? Right. And don't tell, don't, I don't want to hear about your YouTube channel or your podcast. That's not, I don't care. What are you doing at a church if you want to work for a church, you know, in ministry? What is your church ministry like? Oh, you don't even go to Sunday school class. Okay. Then what, what makes you think you're able to do this? So I think that if you want to have some experience, get some experience within your local church. Mm -hmm. And if you have a good experience, they may have to bring you on staff anyway because they can't afford to lose you, right? Because of what you've done or how God's used you in the church, bless your ministry, whatever. Okay, that's the ideal, right? Right. Oh, I live in the middle of nowhere and my church ain't ever going to grow because this pastor's... Okay, well, you start your own group, you know, or start your own church or you start a group within that church. And if it's congregational church, you know, get more people in your group than sit. See, this is what this is my secret weapon. Uh, I, I don't know why people don't do this because I guess because it's really not very Christian. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you find a church that's got 10 people in it, you start a small group that grows to 30 people, they all become members, and you decide to vote to have a co pastor make it you. I don't know. Or, Fire the pastor and hire you. I don't know why that. 
I mean, it's their bylaws let that kind of thing happen. I don't know why there's not hostile takeover. But you didn't hear me say that because that's bad. Uh, but you really should try to do ministry in your local church. And if you're and if there's no positions available in your city, at least try to look around your state and then your region because we really are. God has has appointed the times and places where we shall live. You can't help where you're born, but usually it's easier for you to assimilate and get along and make friends with people, you know, within your region than it is going halfway uh, across the planet to live because it, because you've got to learn all kinds of new customs and stuff and you don't want to be offensive to them. And they're going to be trying not to offend you. And it's awkward for a while. So I'm like, stay as close to your home as you can, if at all possible. That's not always going to be possible, but if at all possible, just like the churches need to start, you know, from within and gradually widen their circle as they have to. You do the same thing if you're looking for a church. It'll just be easier on you, easier on your family, you know, all that. Don't apply for churches that are places that you know you definitely don't want to live, okay? Don't apply for churches that don't pay enough that you know that because they actually tell you what they're going to pay, and you look and you're like, I can't live in that bedroom upper middle class community on what they're trying to pay me don't apply for it move on right so right. it's not like the churches are the only people with responsibilities those who are looking uh, to get into ministry and get get hired at a church um you've got some thing you you've got some things that you need to do and you need to filter certain things out you know uh as well so it's it's yep. both sides but I, I for the life of me though it's still i am flabbergasted because, I mean, it goes back, and I know that, uh, gosh, he doesn't sound very spiritual. No, I'm not when it comes to this stuff, because no one else is, right? If if you listen to me, it'd be a lot more spiritual. But uh, the way that they're doing it now, and you're trying to navigate this, I mean, it's just, it's a mess. It, it, it And for whatever reason, they're always trying to, oh, we just need to find the right person. And they'll, you know, churches have gone without pastors for years trying to interview candidates and stuff. I don't think you should, if this process church takes you longer than three months to fulfill a position, just don't have the position because you're doing it wrong. There are, oh, you're clearly bad at it. People, every, yeah. You're terrible at it. Quit waiting for the one. That's not Neo from the matrix. Quit waiting for the one God's person or whatever. They're all God's people. Talk to them. Right. There should not be this many churches needing staff and this many people needing work for for all of these complaints that I hear that they can't get it together. One hundred percent. In fact, so Idol Killer did. I wanted to talk about this real fast with Warren. One thing I did when I when I was interviewed for this position, because he is this right here. He said, treat the interview process like speed dating. Just throw all the red flags and baggage immediately. Basically, like what are the like you have to affirm this. This is what we do. Be okay with it. So when I went out to staff lunch, dinner here, like they took me out with all, the entire staff, they're like, all right, Will, so like tell us about yourself. Then I was like, I'm just going to do us all a favor. I'm going to get all my controversial positions out of the way because then if you're uncomfortable with it, we'll just stop wasting everyone's time. I'm I believe in conditional Im, uh, uh, immortality, so I'm an annihilationist. Uh, I do not affirm inherited guilt, a version of original sin. I don't affirm that. I do not believe like God poured His wrath on His Son. Therefore, I uh, or like replaced us or anything. So I'm not a penal substitutionary guy. So those are my big ones. 
and it, and it was funny just because like oh well we appreciate that and then they're like we don't care and yeah, i was like cares i don't care and i was like cool all yeah. right then you don't you and idol killer are the anti-penal substitutionary atonement people i believe in it i couldn't possibly care less what y'all think about it y'all shouldn't care what i think no, I don't. That's right. <laughs> if not, we would not be friends. Well, I'm happy um, to argue with you because that's the fun stuff. But it's like, I don't, it's, whatever. Don't care what y'all think. Now, if you're uh, like, I deny the Trinity. Okay, then we're going to, you know, then I care because that's going to send you to hell. But if it doesn't damn you to hell, I really don't care what other people Well, I mean, it, I, I think if you're going to be a pastor of a church, you should probably affirm Orthodox Christianity, right? So uh, John 17 projects, how would you approach building leadership with a small house church that is trying to grow? I would say, again, probably what we've said throughout appoint a leader, like uh, find someone who's seeking and appoint them. Uh, I, I thought about doing a house church before where that would obviously be a thankless job because we wouldn't have any funding really. So, I mean, just find someone who's willing to well, do it. I would assume that if you have a house church, nobody's going to actually contribute to the pod. Uh, that's don't have that assumption or, you know, invite well, better people. Um, well, you probably people who contribute to the pod to say the pot would be probably small, so probably wouldn't worry I about don't it. Know. There's some, there's, I mean, there's some <sighs> that's true. <laughs> Why some loaded people that are coming? <laughs> yeah, it depends on the house church and what neighborhood because I know some people who started house churches that they get, you know. They just started meeting in the house and, you know, they make seven, eight hundred dollars a week. And for Arkansas, that's pretty good, you know, and they become full time pastors, but they never buy a building because they're happy at the house. And, you know, if it's sunny outside, they meet outside instead of in the living room and they can run 40 to 50 people, you know, and only <laughs> when they only when they have a space issue, they find someone with a bigger house. And then if they ever needed a bit, you know, they don't want a church building. They don't want all that. But I mean, so you can do that as far as building, you build leadership the same way everywhere. You know, first of all, you locate people who demonstrate they have the skill set for it. And second, you give them opportunity to use those skills and gifts and callings and all, you know, all of that the language that you you want to stuff. Um, but if you see somebody that has, you know, certain gifts from the spirit and certain qualities uh, that enable them certain skill set that enables them to be a team leader or whatever. Um, the, the main thing is to give them opportunity because that's the one thing that I, if, if I do hear seminarians, you know, they're like, Hey Pritchett, I do want to volunteer at my church. I do want to start a group and I get shut. Okay. Well maybe you need a different church. Okay, and then they go to that church and, you know, they're the new member, so they nobody knows them, so they can't start anything. And then they're there for six months and then, bam, same thing. They hit the same walls because some pastors just hate help, I don't, which is stupid, you know, if hating free help. There are churches out there desperate for people like you. They want you to start active ministry in their church, especially if they don't have to pay you for it. Um, so do that, you know, just do that because... One of the biggest complaints I hear is the lack of opportunity, even within the churches these people are attending. So if you are trying to build a, a leadership within a home church, don't be like these other churches. Give people the opportunity to even fail if they, if they, you know, maybe you mm -hmm. misjudge their gifts. Maybe you misjudge their skill set, whatever. Well, Give them a chance. It's, you know, especially in the beginning, because it's not going to hurt anything. You know, people are just like, that didn't work. So what? Who cares? People aren't. Right. You know, they're not all horrible. So, I mean, just, you know, give people well, a getting, 
getting involved in your local church is actually extremely important. I mean, that's one of my pet peeves with half the online apologetics people who have their little YouTube channels that, you know, they sit there and lecture everyone what churches should do while they're not even involved in a local church really at all. They just attend right. one. So, I mean, that's just a kind of a pet peeve of mine in general. It's like, don't tell churches what they're supposed to do if you're not involved in one. Just, just exactly. Stop. <laughs> uh, so it just, I mean, you're not wrong. It start from the ground up. I mean, I was highly involved in my church growing up. I got, I was highly involved when I was at college. Uh, you know, I was highly involved all throughout. And, you know, even when I, I in fact, I, when I stepped down from my lead pastorate, I ended up going to be a teaching elder very quickly in a few months at another church where a friend was at, cause I wanted to serve. I was like, I, I have these gifts. I can do this stuff. Let me get involved. And I remember it took me a little bit of convincing because I wanted to have a theology and apologetics class where we kind of explored that stuff. It took a little convincing to the elder board because uh, they didn't think that there'd be any interest. And I just said, give me a shot. Just give it a shot. And uh, they had to move us to the auditorium within like a month because we had too many people. <laughs> yeah. So and, there was an interest. And, yeah. And successful churches, they they do to do this like, you know, uh, our pastor Brett. You're going to teach a course on Wednesdays, right? Uh, yes, I start in January, right? I mean, your pastor, pastors know, I know who can do what in our church. <coughs> we've got this person, we've got that seminary dude, we got whatever. Let's ask them, you know, don't wait for them to ask us. Let's go get them involved, you know? So if you're wanting to build leadership in your church, you, you learn who you have and you put them to work because chances are, they're happy to do it. I'm happy to, I'm happy to teach, you know, on Wednesday nights, you know, it's great. I mean, I teach seminary. Why shouldn't I teach in my local church? So, I mean, you know, it, 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 this stuff isn't rocket science, but I mean, I, so it always amazes me, but I hear it over and over again that a lot of churches don't give young aspiring ministry people the, the opportunity to serve at all, even unpaid. It just boggles my mind, but I do hear it. So, you know, it's weird. Yep. 100%. So, but anyway, uh, Dr. Pritchett, I really appreciate your time. I think we should probably wrap it up here. Um, let's see. Do you have any closing thoughts? Or... Those were my closing thoughts. I thought <laughs> uh, they are. I okay. I just want to make sure you didn't have another what they break in. One more thing for all you people listening to the back. No, I've uh, said enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the church split and having this conversation with me. It was, it was actually kind of nice to hear somebody else have issues with it. Cause I thought, for a while, I was crazy, and we, you and I, our mutual friend Nick Quint, yeah. uh, also had uh, has had horrible experiences with this. Every pastor I know has horrible experiences of the of, of this, and it's not really talked about. So I thought it was important that we talk about it, yeah. and um, you know, I'm sure that we could go on more, and I, uh, I will make more notes at some point, maybe do another stream where we talk yeah, about more this, issues. This is the show that that will probably get around in certain circles, but nobody will ever admit to watching it. If like people in their church ever stumble across it, it's like, no, we don't agree with that. No, <laughs> we don't agree with that guy. No nonsense. Uh, yeah, no, that is exactly 100% how basically how this channel works. So uh, everyone's <laughs> like, Oh, people are like, yeah, well, I listen to church split. So I, I've actually been told that it's really funny to say that. Cause I've actually been told, Hey, I listen to church split, but I don't tell the church that I'm at that. I listen to it. I love what you guys are doing. I'm like, that's <laughs> hilarious. I love being that anyway. Yep. All right, cool. Well guys, uh, uh, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to the Church Split. Uh, also, go to Trinity Radio and support Jonathan Pritchett and go watch all their wonderful streams and become a Patreon at both of our channels. Why not? And uh, yeah, if you have any questions or concerns, email us at thechurchsplit at gmail.com. We look forward to talking to you. So until then, I look uh, look forward to the next episode of the Church Split. So take care, guys, and God bless.
And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also want to thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about y'all, yes. but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. I did. Yes, I did. And it was great. Or this. Hi, guys. My name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily, first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.